uh, I think there's a title slide. It's right there. The hope that God provides. Um, this is a personal uh, message for me um, because I myself have had to struggle with hope, wrestle with hope, um, and pray to my God about what hope I have as a human being right, in this life that God has given to me. Um, and so I thought it would be very helpful also to share with you guys as the Lord has been building me up through it. Um, and so that's what I wanted to get into. But the first thing I'm going to actually ask you guys, if you guys uh, have heard a particular phrase or a statement, um, something like, you are putting God in a box, right? Or you're limiting God. Or stop limiting God. Uh, you might hear this around people who come from a more charismatic background or Pentecostal background. You might just hear it from people in general. Stop limiting God. And this kind of phrase, you know, it, it can fit well with what Scripture teaches about the nature of God and about the ability of God. But if this error steps outside of what Scripture confirms and affirms, this can be the cause of so many errors. Stop limiting God. And there's a place in time, like I said, where I myself might use this kind of um, speech. But if we wholly neglect, right, having boundaries concerning the ways of God, we'll, we'll be people of uncertainty. We'll be tossed here and there about what might happen and how God will deal with us. Right? If God has not defined to us the way He will deal, how can we have any certainty about anything? There will be endless possibilities about what might happen. Right? And this is why God has actually preserved His words uh, for us. Right? The apostolic and prophetic writings of Scripture. Right? And so that we might know and declare what God is like according to God Himself. We don't want to declare God to be something that He Himself has not said He is. We don't want to say God is going to do this when God Himself has not said, I'm going to do this. It's very basic, right? It's very fundamental to our faith that we declare God according to God and nothing else. And so I, I'm hoping that Scripture, uh, well, that God would be glorified through what He has preserved for us in Scripture. right? And it, His kindness would be uh, manifested right, through what He has preserved for us in Scripture. So I think an illustration might help uh, just get this point across. Let's think about one of the great anticipations of the Christian faith, right? Missing eternal death and experiencing eternal life through Jesus Christ. But if I were to suggest to you that what you're looking forward to seeing was somehow limiting God, if I were to say to you as a Christian, you're limiting God, Maybe God will put you in a place of neutrality when you die. Maybe God is going to send you to hell even though you truly believe in Christ. 
if I were to, again, try to persuade you that you are putting a boundary on God, right? Then that might look and seem foolish uh, to the faithful, to the godly, to the sincere. So, the written promises of God in that point in time would be your only comfort. <laughs> Again, how how would you even begin to defend right your faith, the, the confidence that you have, that which you look forward to, apart from what God in His sovereign authority has declared will happen? Right. So this is really this is really why I wanted to start with this introduction. Our hope is defined by God's word. Apart from God's word, we should not have our hope defined. It's necessary that God, again, according to what he has given to us in the holy writings, right, should define to us what he is willing to provide. Right? It would be presumptuous um, in any other, any other way. So I wanted to um, look at a passage of scripture today in the book of John, uh, John chapter 11. <clears throat> and it's really just going to be the verse that leads us um, in our sermon today. It's, it's not necessarily going to have a particular priority, um, but it's going to be the verse that leads us today in our sermon. Because what it's teaching will sum up the hope that we have as Christians. So John chapter 11 verse 25 through 26. And if you guys do not have your Bible, please grab your Bible because we're going to be jumping um, around the whole of Scripture so we can have our hope defined by the whole of Scripture. So John chapter 11, verse 25 through 26. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is in the context of Lazarus uh, just passing away, right? Christ delaying intentionally, right, uh, for the glory of God. Right. The sisters continually say things like, Lord, if you had been here, right, our brother would have been alive by now. Right. He would have never died. Right. Well, this sister in particular said, well, I. Uh, but even now, verse 22, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Right? And so this is just um, a little bit of the background in this particular verse. And this has been what the Lord has focused on throughout the whole course of his ministry, especially when you read the book of John, right? You see a few words constantly repeated, right? Eternal life, eternal life, life, death, right? Live. This was the concern of our Lord, right? He was trying to declare to men the salvation of God and the hope that God was providing in that salvation. 
If we could put it in simple words, Christ wanted people to be saved. Let's look at an actual passage of Scripture real quick. In the book of Luke, chapter 13, uh, verse 34. The book of Luke, chapter 13, verse 34. Where Christ says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Right? We can look at verse five, uh, 35 too. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What do we see in this passage? When Christ says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Right? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It expresses the longing of Christ. Right? That's generally what uh, Scripture uh, has as its pattern at times um, when a word is repeated. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Right? And in this case, we know it's the longing of Christ because he says, how often would I have gathered your children together? Right? Christ's longing was that people should be saved, in particular here, Israel, right? the sheep of God, as well as to understand and experience the blessings provided in the salvation accomplished through him. Let's look at John chapter 10, uh, verse 11. Where it says, just give everybody a second. I am, uh, John chapter 10, verse 11. I am, or verse 10, sorry. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Right? Christ came so that we might experience the blessings of the salvation, right? The blessing provided in the salvation of God accomplished through Him. We also see this in Second um, Corinthians. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you guys. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Right. It was the will of Christ and the will of God, right, that we as people should experience the salvation that God was providing in Christ. It was his labor, it was his mission, right? Uh, and again, while the passage we read initially is just a portion of the book of John. We're going to see this throughout all um, of Scripture. Right? But let's talk about the plain meaning of the text um, that we read initially and then see what we can learn um, from it. Right. John chapter um, 
11, verse 25 to 26. And I'll just read it again. Right. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Right. Christ is the cause and worker of the resurrection on the last day. Right. We can see this in other places of Scripture. In John chapter 6, you don't have to turn there. In John chapter 6, verse 38 through 39, it says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. John six forty. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. John 6, 43-44 Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws Him, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And lastly, John 6, 53 uh, to 54. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Christ is the cause and the worker of the resurrection on the last day. Whoever puts their hope in Him for salvation, right, from eternal death and in Him alone, will experience that salvation. Right? And what's the opposite of experiencing eternal death? Right? According to the Word of God, experiencing eternal life. Without Him, there's no resurrection. Do you believe that? Without Christ, there is no resurrection. There is no hope that even if you die, even if we have to <clears throat> bury you as a church, which we do in practice, that you have a resurrection to look forward to. That you have this hope that you're going to be raised from that deadness that you're in to eternal life. Now again, I just wanted to give the plain meaning of the text um, so that we could really jump from there to what we can learn from it. Right? I didn't want to eisegete the text and take it out of its, uh, put my own idea into what the scripture said. But I do now want to actually see what we can get from the scripture implicitly, right? Or we can even say explicitly. It's found in the phrase, though he die. If you guys are still there uh, in John chapter 11, verse 25 through 26, it's found in that phrase, though he die. Right? 
whoever believes in me, though he die. Right. Or in other words, even if he were to die. That's the idea there. Right. Even if that person was to die. It goes back to something similar we read in Habakkuk, right? Even if there's no <laughs> figs on the tree and other things like that, right? Yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. It points us back to something that will stand even if another fails. In this case, even if the very life that we now have is taken from us, even then, through trusting in Christ for this salvation, we'll take hold of it again. And that in a more glorious and triumphant state, which is what we're going to cover a little later. But I want to clear the air uh, before we cover that, which is the bulk of what I'm trying to get. I'm not seeking and hoping that you just ha have air cleared for you about what not to open, right? But actually to give you direction um, about what Scripture says we should hope in. Right? And very simply put, our hope, Right is not to be in uh, just a few things. If I could put in a few words, right? Things that are uncertain or fade away, right? We see this in the book of John or in the letter of John, First John chapter two, which says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world." If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And something similar to this um, in the book of Tim, uh, in the letter to Timothy, which Paul wrote, First uh, Timothy chapter six, uh, verse seventeen, and some of these verses I'll let you guys know when you, you know it might be a good idea to turn there, um, but if you will please do. First Timothy chapter six, verse seventeen. Okay. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This could be the strength of our body, that which we hope in, right? something that's uncertain, something that will fade away. Uh, you see this in Psalm 20, right? It could be the, the relationships you have with people, right? Or the ability that you or someone else possesses. The scripture says uh, in Psalm 146, right? put not your trust in princes, right? And a son of man, right? Don't put your hope, don't put that, you know, hope of deliverance, and that which you look forward to in a human being, in your relationship to that human being, in your own strength. It could be the money you have, which we just read, 
don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. First Timothy chapter 6. Anything that will or that has the potential right, to fail us someday or which God has not guaranteed to us right, by promise as something to look forward to is not something that we should uh, place as the source and cause of our hope. And this, uh, you find this overemphasis of this kind of idea, right, in movements like the prosperity gospel, right, promising freedom from poverty, illness, right, through believing that God has uh, provided it as a promise. And like, similarly, like the same principle really, right, or really a principle that the prosperity gospel works on is the word of faith movement. It doesn't necessarily strictly trouble itself with wealth, but it finds this kind of promise from God that if you speak positively <laughs> about your circumstances right, or matters that you're concerned with, that outcome will play itself out in your life. Right? They make the power of their joy and satisfaction themselves, right, instead of God. And the pleasures of this life, the reason for that joy. Right? They're so consumed and so concerned with having things in this life, with having prosperity in this life, with having health in this life, with having fortunate circumstances in this life, that in turn, they actually turn from prioritizing what God would have them to prioritize. They don't consult with God. They don't imagine that God would ever disagree with them. Again, they make their fleshly desires the priority of this life and fail to recognize that God himself declares what those priorities are to be, namely pleasing and honoring him and finding joy in His guarantees to us. I don't want to give the impression that God doesn't concern Himself with our physical well-being. I've actually had this conversation. Sorry, I'm not looking here enough. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Uh, I've actually had that conversation several times uh, with a few brothers. Um, you know, I don't want to give that impression. God is concerned with uh, the need that we have as human beings, right? We see this in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 32, where Christ says, Therefore, don't be anxious. Right? What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And Paul, in the, book of Philipp or the letter uh, to the Philippians, where he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Right? God is concerned with your physical well-being. God is concerned and has a desire within Himself that His creatures right, should have rest. Right? You see that in the uh, seven days of creation, when on the seventh day right, of God's work, He rested Himself and gave rest to His creatures. Or in the law, 
right? When God declares that the people of Israel are to rest on the seventh day of the week, which is uh, referred to as the Sabbath, God has this desire. It's plain in Scripture if we read it, right? For us as His creatures to rest. For us as His creatures to be free from burden and toil. We hear something like this from Christ, right? He says, Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. However, to imagine that in the mind of God, there is a priority for your physical prosperity and fortunate circumstances, that's an error. To imagine that tests, discipline, and the purpose of God would come underneath your comfort in this life, that's a mistake. To assume that God has made this kind of promise to those who are in Christ, again, fortunate circumstances, um, good health, right? A nice house, a nice car, businesses, partners, relationships. To make this something that God has placed in Christ when we are united to Christ is ignorance. It comes from not spending time in the truth of God. It comes with not looking at the totality of God's Word. It's misleading, this kind of message. And it doesn't encourage true faith at all. It doesn't encourage faith saying, you, you, you. <laughs> you they're so loud, right? Some of these churches. Um, you're going to be rich. God forbid that um, I fall into something like that. And you see me one day saying things like, you, 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 you. Um, I hope the Lord will not. <clears throat> but, you know, it, 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 will, it will eventually lead to disappointment, right? This kind of teaching. Um, because people who are, you know, aware that the Scripture, the Bible that we have, the writings within it, contained within it, right, are the Word of God to be followed, to be walked after, right? Even in the midst of their growing, right, in Christ. May not know everything that Scripture says, but they know they're supposed to be obedient. As they're obedient, they're going to see that that doesn't follow obedience to Christ. That doesn't follow honoring Christ. That's what's going to come with believing. uh, Or Sorry, I didn't mention what is going to come, but that doesn't come with believing in the Lordship death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What all men naturally desire, right? All of us, we have a natural desire for things, right? And it's just with or without God, you have this kind of desire uh, to be healthy, right? (laughs) Uh, To have a nice house again, right? To just be in fortunate circumstances, to get married, to have kids, right? To have material, to have things that would produce some kind of 
temporal joy or satisfaction, whatever it is, with or without God, there are things that we as human beings naturally desire. Right? And those things that we naturally desire are not what makes the gospel the good news that it is. And that's really the error, right, of uh, the prosperity gospel and the word of faith movement and other movements that follow that, even those things which are not movements, right? But we hear on a daily basis, when you go on LinkedIn or when you go on whatever app you go on as a human being, you hear these things, these presumptuous words. God never ever said or guaranteed to all of his creation universally. Men have stable sources of income. Nice cars, nice houses, beautiful wives, children, businesses, again, relationships, apart from submission to Christ. These things do not make the gospel the gospel. What you have in this life, what you experience in this life, is not what's going to make the gospel the gospel, the good news that it is. In reality, this kind of teaching, it fails to trust in God. Right? It undermines God when you look at Him in light of Scripture. Right? And that seems to be the pattern of those with such thinking. Right? They disregard and toss behind their backs those portions of Scripture which set aside their priorities and replace them and, and uh, those things in Scripture which seek to replace their priorities with God, with God's priorities. Scripture is about denying oneself. Scripture is about repentance and righteousness. It assumes that God in His perfect wisdom would not place men under poverty, right? under persecution and illness. It takes the history of Scripture and it's teaching and makes it of no effect. Absolutely no effect. When you look at stories like the story of Job, are you just going to throw that out of the Bible? Or when you look at uh, the book of Genesis and a portion of it concerning Abraham, right? I mean, Job was a blameless man. Job was a man in God's own eyes who was a righteous servant, a faithful servant. And do you know what happened to this man? All his possessions, oxen, donkeys, sheep, camels, servants, sons and daughters, and on top of this, his very own health stripped from him. It's not about what you've got in this life. Abraham, right? A man called the friend of God in Scripture. God called him to give up his only unique son, you can say, because he had uh, Ishmael as well. His only son that God himself promised. Right? Abraham wanted to have a son with his wife, Sarah. Not Hagar or some other individual that he was not his official wife, if we could put it that way. And God required that from him. God required the only son that Abraham had 
and Jesus, right? The very Son of God, despised, rejected by men, a man familiar with suffering and persecution, crucified as a criminal. Blameless. He was really blameless. Like, Job was called blameless in a relative sense. But Jesus never sinned. Like, <laughs> you would think that, like, for complete obedience, right, you would be the most prosperous person in the world. But according to the plan of God, um, in relationship to redemption, that was not Jesus' case. There's, there's times where Jesus, you know, being said, you know, or told by somebody, I want to be your disciple, right? Like, you don't even know the life I'm living right now. I don't have a place where I rest my head. Like foxes, they have holes. And birds, they have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I'm not saying Christ never slept anywhere. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure he did in his earthly ministry. I think we have evidence for that in Scripture. His parents didn't abandon him when he was young. But during his earthly ministry, his three-year ministry, this seems to be the pattern of his life. Right? Alone. <laughs> Suffering. People wanting to kill him. When they hear his teaching, right, they're just bitter. And he's innocent. He's righteous. And, uh, you know, time is only going to permit me to mention these figures. Um, but there are countless others who have experienced something like this, right? Uh, the same suffering that comes with being like a true worshiper of God. Countless others we could name. Moses, right? I mean, in his own way, suffered with the people of Israel. Right? Just burdening him and troubling him and putting distress and anger in his heart because of their unbelief. And complaining to him, right? Why did you bring us here? <laughs> Moses, what were you thinking? Right? They discouraged him. David, Saul, right? In his relationship to Saul. And in fact, David boldly says in the Holy Spirit, within the writings of Scripture, when you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. You can't put your hope in these uncertain things, right? And these things that Scripture is not giving any kind of assurance, you're going to have it. You're not going like it doesn't tell you. You can't foresee this kind of stuff. And imagine, by something as silly as your words, that you're going to possess whatever you're saying. I could say so many things with my words. You say I'm a fly. Hey, nothing happened, right? Or I'm going to live a hundred and. 15 years old, 130 years old, you can count on it. Because my words, they're going to bring a circumstance that's exactly what I want. They don't consult God. They don't think God would ever have some other kind of plan. 
some other kind of agenda. They set aside his sovereignty. And we use that word and toss it around a lot, sovereign, sovereign, sovereign. God has the chief authority in all things. His word is final about things. His dealings are final. What he wants to accomplish is the final say in everything. So apart from what Scripture has said, we, it's presumptuous, really, to assume uh, a particular way in which God is going to deal with you. Apart from what Scripture says explicitly and implicitly. Right? I say that because the judgments of God in Scripture are, are itself a teaching for us. Right? Paul says they're an example to us. When you see how God has dealt through history, that in itself is a teaching. When you see how God responds to obedience, faithfulness, how God responds to sin and unbelief, when you see these things, that in itself is a teaching for us. So apart from those things revealed in Scripture, it is presumptuous to speak in such a specific way about how God will uh, deal with us. God might, again, take something dear to us. Right? Something that's really important to us. To discipline us. To test us. We might have to endure persecution. Loneliness for imitating Christ. Maybe the lot that God has given to us is not even purpose for what men in their natural desire hope for. Right? Not everybody's Solomon. Like, if I were to put it in simple words, not everybody's going to have the wives Solomon had or the concubines he had and the things that he got to experience. And if you just listen to Solomon himself, what does he say at the end of his uh, writing in the book of Ecclesiastes, right? All of it is vain. <laughs> Let me say it again. All of it is vain, right? I, he was literally on a search to see if something in this life, right, could make life, life. What does he find? It's, it's all vain. If I acquire wealth when I die, I don't know who's going to gather it. You don't know if it's going to go to your children. You don't know what's going to happen. Like, these things are so uncertain. And guess what? The world puts their hope in these things. We're like, if I get married, I'm going to be good, right? If I find, you know, Habashat, <laughs> guy or girl, we're going to be good. And, you know, we're going to have a nice marriage because we come from similar cultures and it won't be weird and awkward. It's going to be, you know, the norm that we usually experience in marriages. Right? We're going to sing, we're going to dance and, you know, be married people. Or if I just 
if I just get a bunch of these things, these tools, right, I could do exactly what I want. If I just get this laptop or this phone or this computer or whatever it is that you are thinking about as a human being, if I could just get that, whatever it is, right, these things are vain. So what, what's the guarantee that we have, you know, because we're dealing with clearing the air, right? Like, you know, we, we got to get some things out of the way. What we can't hope in is what we just kind of covered here. Like anything temporal, anything uncertain. What can we hope in, though, you know, as it regards these things, just very briefly? Uh, well, it's in light of Scripture, the whole of Scripture, it's, it, bec- it can become clear, right? It's as long as God, right, desires that we should be alive, right, because He's sovereign, we don't determine that. As long as God desires that we should be alive, everything that is necessary for that is going to be provided, right? doesn't mean you're going to be rich. It doesn't mean, like, all the things, I don't even know where the world is getting these ideas, like, it doesn't mean you're going to get to have those things. It doesn't mean you're going to work in the White House. It doesn't mean you're going to work in any kind of fancy job. Right? There's no guarantee for these things. Like I just want to throw these kind of assurances that we have as human beings away because who told you that? Who showed you a vision at night? Who gave you the prophetic word? Who uttered the oracle of God? To your ears and told you you're going to do well in this life. Right? Tell me his name. It's not in scripture. Right. So I think that I hope that point is clear. <laughs> I think it's clear. Right? Things uncertain, guys, things that are going to fade away. could be the gym. It could be anything that you as a person, which is so dear to you. Anything. Don't make those things life. This is what my life's about. It's about waking up every morning, going to the gym, going to work, after work, going home, eating food, this and that. This is what my life's about, right? This is what my life's about. Something your life is not really about. Your life includes that, but your life is not about that. And if you make that life, perhaps God will take it from you because He cares, not because He hates you. Right? But you don't want to hear that as like uh, someone listening to these um, preachers. Right? It's that God knows what's best. And perhaps that means you're not going to get what you want. We don't even deal with that as 
parents, I'm not a parent, but we know generally how parents deal. We don't even deal like that with our children. Anything they want, anything you want, I'll give it to you. That's how they put them in movies. Anything you want, I'll give it to you. No. Don't give me anything I want. Because what I might want might not be good for me. Could be something so small, guys. Right? Something we the world is just like, are you really tripping about that, bro? Are you really serious about that? Like, come on. Like this lighten up. Uh take it a little more easy on yourself. Right? That God through our sanctification is literally concerned with cleaning us, right? And filling us with new thoughts, new concerns, new pursuits, new passions, right? And he will do what is necessary uh, to accomplish his purpose there. So we don't hope in those things. I really hope in practice, you know, in God's grace when we leave, we kind of think like, you know, like, I'm about to go to this place, but am I making this what life's about? Is this, is this the thing I'm going to fully set my hope in, you know, when I, when I leave this place? So um, I thought it would be good to clear that out um, so that we can be filled, right? We just said God sort of cleanses us, right? And then renews us, right? He kind of just takes these ideas, these false ideas out of our heads, right? Through whatever means, he intends to do that by. And puts new thoughts in our head about what we're thinking of. And so let's look at what our true hope is. Right, there's no slide. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let's look at what our true hope is. Right? It's God Himself. Um, it's it's God's character, right? It's in God's nature. What does that practically mean though? It's just it's just God like this transcending God. He has a character and nature. We never see it at work. We never see it displayed in time and space. We just hope in this God that we ne- we don't even know what we mean by that. But his character and his nature. It sounds spiritual. It sounds cool. It sounds, you know, like a godly thing to say. An evangelical thing to say. Right. No, but it's actually what we see God demonstrate right, in Scripture. When we say his character, as I mentioned before, the way God deals through history is how God intends to reveal himself. You have no revelation of God apart from his works, apart from what he says. Right? And so what we see God doing, right, that informs us about his character. What you see me do, what you like, what you see anybody that you know doing is what informs you about that person, you know, uh, you know, with more context should inform you about that person. 
right? So God, because He's faithful to His words, right? What does that cause us to do? Right? It causes us to trust what He says, right? Because God is righteous and fair, what does that do? Right? We see that all over Scripture. This is a great concern of the Old Testament, especially. Right? What does that make us do? Right? Well, it puts an expectation in our hearts, at the very least. Right? And that's that if God judges me, right, it's going to be fair. If God judges him or her, it's going to be fair. And it, it gives us a reason to remove all evil sp suspicions that we have toward God. Right? Those times where we're like Eve right, in the garden and Satan is pressing a, a, a very begging question. Right? Did God really say that? Or something like, Nah, but God, you know, like, <laughs> you know, God, right? He's not like that. You know, he's just, he's just, he's just trying to make sure you don't become like him. That, that may not be the specific concern of the devil in our ears, right? I don't think a lot of people want to hear, want to be like God, right? I don't think that's our burden as Christians, at least in the 21st century. To a degree, um, but it's something like that. It raises suspicion about God. Right, those things are removed when we see God's acts. Right, when we see His righteous judgment, when we hear His law, and we just meditate on it and say, "Oh wow!" Like. God is so righteous. Like, God is more righteous than me. Right? Like, I might let this go and that go and all this other stuff, right? But God's like, put him to death. Cut her hand off. Like, things that are so severe for deeds of evil. Right? And, you know, on top of this... Because God is for us in Christ, right? And desires what's best for us in Him, in Christ. We know that all that we go through is what? Is for our good. Right? If we have that assurance we're in Christ, right? We might need that first. Then, we also know, right? That whatever happens to us is for our good. It could be tragedies in the world's eyes, right? Like there's no hope for him in God, right? So many times in the Psalms, you might actually find that exact phrasing, right? There's no hope for him in God. And the psalmist cries, you know, like all my companions have left me. My friends have abandoned me. I'm like a worm to people. Whatever is happening to you, to the true saint and worshiper of the one true God, according to the, uh, the Bible, 
as for their good. Okay. So, coming back a little bit to what some of the teachers you might hear on the internet say, right, <laughs> is if your life, if you're not experiencing, right, fortunate circumstances, right, it must mean something about you, right? Every time that your life is in trouble, oh, it, it must mean that you sinned. You sound like Job's friends. Like, Job is blameless, man. And then the, the first thing they say is what? Like, you must have done something. You must have done something like a criminal, very criminalistic. You know, God would never, God would never deal with somebody apart from, in such a way apart from, you know, them being rebellious. No. Sometimes God, again, I mean, it may be for discipline, which is related to sin, right? Sometimes this, this is a test, right? So, um, you know, while the world and the temptation we have in that assurance that we're, we are God's, right? We are God's people, right? We belong to Him. We're His possession. That's what I mean by that. Right. Whatever we go through is is not going to be what deter, you know helps us and uh, or determines to us whether we're in good hands. Right. It may confuse us, right? It may cause us to say, "God, did I do something wrong? Right? Did I sin? Right? Please forgive me if I sinned." doesn't mean that like God has utterly forsaken us we're not his people right? so we gotta have our hope defined by what God says in his word can you imagine how confusing life can be maybe we, we've experienced that right how confusing life is in as long as we are keeping ourselves from the defined hope of God in the holy writings of scripture. If God doesn't define our hope, right? If God doesn't clarify uh, to us what we are to look forward to, right? What we're to eagerly long uh, to see an expectation, right? How are you going to define what you live for? Right? How are you going to define what you're looking forward to? Right? If somebody just begs the question, what are you looking forward to in life? Right? In your life, are, do you have something that you're actually looking at and saying, like, I'm really waiting for that day? Right? Or are we just waiting again for these temporal things. I'm waiting to get married, right? I'm waiting to just get out of this house and, and get my own place, right? I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for this and for that, which is fine to wait for, but 
when I asked that question, I wasn't talking about those things, right? Not those things that sometimes we wait for our paycheck, like not those things that are temporary. What what are you looking forward to that gives you meaning to life? That gives you a reason to live each day and not commit suicide? Because apart from apart from God determining reality, like apart from God objectively setting things for us, you don't have a reason to live. You don't have any objective reason to live. You may find one in your pocket. You don't have an objective reason to live. So it could be I, I live to be happy or something like that. That's not God's reason. Right? So I really want to touch this um, hope with all that build-up, um, in a sense. And in demonstrating uh, God's love to us, Him demonstrating His love to us, He's offered us something, right, that we may look forward to with absolute assurance. Like, you can be sure about this. Like, you can't be sure about what we read in Habakkuk, right? You can't be sure that the fig tree is going to blossom. You can't be sure that there's going to be fruit on the vines. You can't be sure that the olive is going to be present, right? That the field is going to yield food. You can't be sure, like, necessarily about those things, right? That the flocks are going to be present in the fold. They may be present. If God so wills it. But on the other hand, God may not. For whatever reason. And we trust Him. So what is that thing which God has given us absolute assurance about? Like, there's no alternative. There's no, like we said, the, the, the fruit may be on the tree or the fruit may not. Like, there's no two ways about this. Right? What is that? It's what we said earlier. It's the gift of eternal life. Let's <clears throat> um, actually, now if you guys have your Bible, this would be a good time to look at these things. First uh, John, chapter 2, verse 24. We got to work on these mics next time, man. <laughs> Sorry. First John chapter 2, verse 24. Okay, again, one last time. First John chapter 2, verse 24. It says this, it says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. 
And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. Uh, Romans chapter 6. If you want to turn there to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a life that never ends, a life that's unceasing, right? But it's not only unceasing, right? Because hell is unceasing, right? Hell is an eternal torment, eternal anguish, eternal distress, eternal condemnation. It's not just eternal, but it's free from trouble. And it's full of comfort. We see that in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. <clears throat> Revelation chapter one, uh, 21, sorry, verse 4. Okay. It says... He will wipe away every tear. This is, this is again in the context. Look at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, right? And the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, that, that's just the context that this is in, right? This is in the new creation. This is perspective. This is something that's looking forward. It's not something that is happening now. We don't have new heavens and earth now. Right? And this is what will come with it. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. It's not just an unending life, right? Really, people who go to hell will have a life that doesn't end. But it will be in anguish. It will be in bitterness. It will be in regret for choosing this life, this present life, over the next. In Christ. It's a life that's so beautiful, right? That in comparison with this present one, it causes us to forget about it. Like, like how could something be so beautiful, right? It literally causes you to forget about that thing which the world is making the most valuable possession that it has, right? Namely, this present life. We see that in Isaiah uh, 65. Isaiah 65. 
and in verse 17. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. This is prophetic, right? And the former things shall not be remembered right? or come into mind. It's so many things come into our mind. This earth, everything in it, the affliction, the prosperity, none of it will come into mind when you see the glory of God's new heaven and new earth, the life that will be lived there. Romans uh, chapter 8, and I'll just read this to you guys. Romans chapter 8. Verse 18, again, looking to the future. This is all a future thing. This is, this is, this is all a future uh, expectation. Okay. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. God will grant this to everybody who believes in Christ. Right? It doesn't end there. Like, um, let me actually read a verse real quick, pointing that out. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 9 through 12, it says, um, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. Whoever does not believe God has made Him a liar because He has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning His Son. What is the testimony? And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in who? In His Son. Everybody who believes in the Son, it says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you have Christ, if you have offered yourself to Christ, right, by the call of the Spirit, by the grace that the Spirit works in us to bring us to God and to Christ. If you have said in everything, though I don't necessarily, I'm not aware of all the places where my will is not subject to God or to Christ, I'm going to submit myself to the Lordship of Christ. Right? And when it comes to time where I need to wrestle with something, I'm going to wrestle under that authority and say, Jesus, you're the Lord. I, I, it's painful. It's so painful for me to do this or that, but you're Lord. 
can be immature and say something like that. You can be mature and say something like that in Christ. That's the door. It's Christ's lordship, right? And his saving, uh, the authority that he has to save from death, from eternal death. You can have this life. You will have this life if you're in Christ. It's not you can. You will. If you're in Christ, you will have this. It's a guarantee. It's a promise of God. The whole of Scripture is concerned with God being truthful. God will not lie and break His promise. That would make God a liar. If God said something, I'm going to do this for you, and He did not fulfill His word in the way that He intended, that's a lie. But God won't lie. All of Scripture teaches us that through His works and through His word, He won't lie. You won't suffer persecution or loneliness in heaven. Right? God's enemies won't be there. They'll be outside the gate. In other words, outside of that <laughs> community. Both God and Christ will be with us forever, and the light of their presence will shine before us forever. This is in Revelation 21, uh, 22 to 23. Okay. It says, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Right? God Himself will be our light. That's how intimate our fellowship will, with God will be. Right? Like, our fellowship with God now is like, God is in His dwelling place in heaven, though omnipresent and in some sense with us all, right? And we have to pray ignorant of where God is and all these things, right? You won't be confused. Like, you're not confused about where the sun is because as soon as you step outside, it's there. God is going to be like that. It's going to be right there, right? God is going to be the light. His glory is going to be the light. And Christ will be its lamp. There's going to be no need for deliverance from enemies, temptation, confusion. God will once and for all deliver us from our fallen state and that which is needful because of that, this present corruption. Our bodies won't be weak and our health ever worsening for God has prepared a new body for us when Christ returns, right? Which is free from weakness and decay. And um, I'm coming to a close here, so just be um, patient with me. Philippians chapter 3, I'm just going to read it for you guys. 
um, verse 20 to 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. All of this is going to be settled once and for all on the day of judgment, on that final day where each of us have to stand before God through Christ who will judge us on that day. This is going to be settled. Whether you experience that glory that we just said, all the things we're longing for here in this life, but yet in a more glorious and triumphant way there. You either get that or you get this. It's so sad, this, right? It's confusing here. Like it's, it's, it's again, it's uncertain, right? There's no guarantee you're going to get it. could die. For all we know, like, let alone just not receiving it, like, you could die. Any moment. If we set our hope on God by trusting and looking forward to all that He has guaranteed to us, We'll get to experience that for eternity. If we're consumed with this life, if we are as those that Jesus says, what is it worth? You're going to gain the whole world and what? Lose your soul. Right? We're going to be like that. We're going to fulfill that. Right? That truth. So where is our hope, right? What's our true hope? Christ said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, right? And I'm not going to fill that passage with more than what it says, but you can think about more things that can fill that though, right? Though he's poor, <laughs> Though he doesn't have this, though he doesn't have that, though, he, though you don't have the things that are not a condition for salvation. Right? Yet he shall live. Right? He will live. He will live. There's nobody that Christ that, and that God has elected for salvation that comes to Christ right? who will experience eternal death, who will die and be ashamed. Right? They'll live and have eternal life. Let's pray. Um, and as we pray, I want us to think about a few things. I want us to think about repentance, 
I want us to think about not that idea, but how we should, as people, confess to God for a minute. Confess to God where we have put our hope in life, where we have placed the meaning of life. I want us to really pray to God. Looking at the promise He's given in Christ, clear as day, eternal life, the blessings that come with that life, no crying, no weeping, no mourning, no shame, no guilt, nothing, no confusion, no darkness. I want us to confess to God. I'm going to give you guys just a minute. I myself am going to be in prayer. Um, and then I'll come back and pray with you guys. Okay, guys, um, I want us to actually look at First Peter. Uh, you guys can just stay where you are in that posture of prayer. First Peter chapter 1, um, verse 13. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, 
Thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for the truth of your word, which is all around your word. We praise you for your kindness, God, for the hope that you've given us after this life, because this life is very uncertain, God. What will happen to us, what we'll go through, the sufferings, the persecution, the affliction, the loneliness, the strange, strange circumstances that we come into. We don't know how to deal. This life is so uncertain. In fact, the only certainty we have, God, as your word says, is that if we walk with Christ and after Christ's likeness, we'll suffer. We'll be persecuted. If they called Jesus our master, Beelzebub, if they called him, if they maligned him, if they treated him so poorly, what's going to happen to us? Those who are his servants, not even the master, but his servants, what's going to happen to us? So God, we thank you because you're honest with us. We thank you because you're truthful with us. We thank you because you care about us and you care so much to just tell us plainly where to have our hope set, even if that means letting go of so many things that we are holding so tightly. And Lord, you give us everything to enjoy in this life. You are the one who gives us marriage. You are the one who gives us everything that is good, everything that you have made, which is good. And let us not deny that. Let us not say we're going to be people who don't get married or people who don't eat this or don't eat that. Let us be people who enjoy everything that you've provided, Lord, that is fitting with your will, your revealed will. And give thanks to you. Please help us, Father. Let our hearts leave this place really in a direction. Let our hearts leave this place with our minds, or let our minds be set on what you have called us to set it upon in your word through the Apostle Peter. On that hope which is to come at the revelation of Christ when he is revealed. Let us believe, let us have confidence and increase this in us, God. Please bless the rest of our fellowship, our time, our service, and be with us, Lord, not only today, but each day, every Sunday, every Friday, every day when we're at home. Please, O oh righteous God, help us. Be near to us. And pour your love upon us, God, more and more. The knowledge of your love upon us more and more. I thank you for everything, God. We thank you for everything that you've done. We pray that this would change our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I don't know if there's a lot.